Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Steve Peasley listens to your questions. This is Kevin calling from Lacazette, California, kind of planning ahead for the future, thinking of establishing primary residence in a state with no state income tax. And provides unbiased answers. Good question, though, a good thought process, and always good to look forward. I think there's only what seven or nine states that have no income tax. Invest Talk, over 42 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99 Chart. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is InvestTalk, independent thinking, shared success. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor, Steve Peasley. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Invest Talk. It is Tuesday, June 7, 2022. I'm Steve Peasley, and I look forward to doing this podcast because I do enjoy hearing your financial investment questions, any financial questions. Doesn't have to all be about stocks, everybody. It can be about anything financial. We'll talk about it. And I'm always careful to give you straight and unbiased answers. I, you know, I don't like, I've heard so much rhetoric out there that, you know, sounds good, but it's just rhetoric. Nothing that you can really sink your teeth into. I'm, this show, what we try to do is educate. We really want you to learn how to do this. Those people who are listening to me right now, listening to Justin when he does the show, you want to learn. You want to know what's going on. You want to figure out how how do I make money in the stock market? How do I invest? What's the best way? How to preserve my money? Any of those questions. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't. And that's what we want to help you with. And of course, we want to do that. We want clients. That's why we do this. I'm not saying that we don't want clients. I'm saying that we're willing to teach you if you want to do it. I'm not pushing anything on you. We don't do that. In fact, you drive the show. You drive the direction of the show with your questions. The only only, only requirement I have, the only one, make sure they're financial questions. So it's going to be my goal to help you understand what's going on, what the environment, current environment we're in. How do we navigate this environment we're in? You know, we're in a tough environment, Right. We haven't seen this kind of environment since, what, 2008? There it is, 2022, right? I mean, in a bear market situation, we really haven't. So, and every bear market's different. They're never the same. Well, they're the same when you talk, when you consider how far the, the various stocks and indexes go down, because that's the definition of a bear market. But how they occur, the shape they take, what causes them, they're usually always different. There's one little thread through all those recessions that tend to be the same most of the time, and that's the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates. That's one thing you need to know. When the Federal Reserve is on a path to increase interest rates, 
you need to expect the market to be struggling and therefore the economy to be struggling. That's the reason they're raising interest rates usually is to slow the economy. So we know we have high inflation. We know we have a market that's very volatile and we know it's, it's in correction mode, more than correction mode, bear market mode. And now it's a question of how long will they last? We started this bear market in January. That's where it started. It peaked in the last first day or two in January. The market peaked, and since then, it's been coming down. So I invite you to give me a call. Your questions are all welcome. I want to hear your questions. It's a toll-free number. You don't cost you a cent. Just a little bit of time. 888-99-CHART. Let's get right to our first question. Hey, Stephen Justin. I have a question for ETF XLE. I'm wondering... Um if I should be adding more to my small position to that ETF, because I just noticed that, that it's 52-week high. I wanted to see what you guys thought about it, if I should keep adding or take some profit. Thank you, guys. Okay, this is exchange-traded fund seeking performance corresponding to the S&P Energy Select Sector Index, XLE. And, of course, you know, I, I we've been talking forever about commodities and the strength of commodities and we know that oil prices are high um, and some people think oil prices are going to continue to rise uh, i think the barrel of oil is like 120 dollars a barrel or close to uh maybe 118 something like that and i'm thinking that it's getting pretty close to being a peak but some people think it's going to go higher 150 i don't think i would i'm not I'm not, we are not exiting any of our energy positions. We're not necessarily adding to them either. So I, I think it's a high-risk play to add to your energy position today. Okay, wait for, wait for some weakness and then maybe add some then if you don't have enough. That's what I would suggest. My focus point today is based on the headline, once the China bot block, uh, backlog clears, Europe and the U.S. might see a rush of ship shipments. We're talking about the supply chain, everybody. Is it realistic? Is this a realistic assessment? Will that happen? And what about the timing? And how it will it affect our economy? Because China does have problems because of COVID. They have zero tolerance for COVID. So they've shut down. And I mean, Shanghai was down for what, two, three, four weeks? Shut down. You don't think that's very disruptive? It is very disruptive, you know, uh, for the supply chain. So inside the United States, actually, once we have the stuff, our internal supply chain is working pretty well. Pretty well. But getting here from China or imports are difficult. And so that's what we'll talk about. That's the main talking point that I we will discuss. And, you know, I have other topics. How about jobs last week? 390,000. Did you see what the labor participation rate? Do you know? How, is it back to normal? Back to pre-COVID levels? That's what I want to talk about. The World Bank had something to say about the world economy. I want to discuss that. And how much do institutions own of equity, of the entire equity market? We're talking about institutions. We're talking about mutual fund families. We're talking about Goldman Sachs, a big, huge bank. We're talking about pension funds. How much of the entire equity market do they own? Do you have any idea? This is why I mentioned mutual funds or institutional ownership of stocks. 
It's kind of important, important to know if you're going to invest your own money. Okay? So those are the things we're going to talk about. I got other things we can discuss if you want. But you drive the show. It's where you want to go with it, not me. We had an update today, finally. The Dow was up 264 points. The NASDAQ up 114. And the S&P was up 39. So a little relief after a few days down. So are we – I'm still thinking summer's going to be a difficult time. I do. I really do. Uh, so, you know, just be careful. There's no reason to be anxious about getting in the market. There's, and if you're not already on the sidelines with cash, don't worry about it. You just, just ride it through. You'll be fine. People panic at the very wrong time. If you, if you were listening to us, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, we told you, oh, like starting a year ago, it's time to cut back on your growth stocks. Get out of your growth stocks. Look for value. Stay with value at this time. That was a year ago we started talking about, more than a year ago. You know, So you need to think about that. And we still think you want to be in the value side, not the growth side. Growth side is what's really tanked, okay, growth stocks. And stay away from stocks that have a lot of debt. Debt is going to cost more and more and more money because of Fed raising rates. So be careful about investing stocks with a lot of debt. Okay? My trivia, my trivia question today concerns how to make borrowing money less expensive. Okay, that's coming up at the halfway part. How to make borrowing money less expensive. We know that mortgage rates have gone up. We know all rates, all rates are gone up. So how do you get the best rate you can? How do you make it less expensive for you? And that's what we'll talk about. So we're moving into a break. My Invest Talk phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. Now, each time I host the Invest Talk podcast, I have a satisfaction of taking caller questions and then breaking down the often complex dynamics involved. I make them into easier to understand elements. Each question is tackled live without pre-screening, and some topics are more challenging than others. And that's a good thing because it allows every Invest Talk caller to shape the content of the podcast. If you've never called, don't hold back. You can leave your Invest Talk questions on the 24 7 anytime listener line at 888 99 Chart. Hi, uh, ATT spinned off Warner Brothers Discovery about, I guess, two months ago. The advantages and disadvantages of the shareholder holding ATT stopped. 
I assume they they spend it off to take some of the debt away. We had too many irons in the fire. So uh, if you can give me some feedback on that, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, frankly, that is exactly my same conclusion. To get for, spin it off, get rid of some debt, refocus their attention on what AT&T is and does. And that's wireless services, networking, uh, instead of making movies and TV shows and cartoons. Okay, so I like the move. We own AT&T in our managed account. We still own it. The yield is right now 5.3%, and I think it's at a good price. Uh, They're going to make $2.55 next year, and they're $21.14 stock. So uh, now they'll never have a high PE. They'll never have a high PE. Just won't. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of upside potential, but man, that 5.3% looks pretty attractive on a company that you know is solid. So I like AT&T and I like it, you know, I mean, it got below $18, close to 17 and that was a great price, but you know, at 21 is still not that bad. I think it'll go back to the high twenties. Okay. Just my opinion. I like it. My focus point today, focus point today is based on this headline. Once the China backlog clears, Europe and U.S. might see a rush of shipments. Is this a realistic assessment? And I would say yes. We're going to see. We're going to see that. We're going to see a rush of shipments. But one thing you're not, you know, one thing that's interesting is on the West Coast, where a lot of stuff from China comes. You know, there's contract issues. Longshoremen contract issues, and they're negotiating, working on that. So what happens if that doesn't get solved? That's possible. You know, uh, and China still has, they're working through it, but they still have this zero, uh, zero COVID attitude. So if anything pops up, they shut everything down. I think that's wrong, personally, but this is what they're doing, and this has caused backlogs in container and shipping and inter- internally in the country, and if they weren't, if we weren't so dependent on their manufacturing, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But the whole world is, and so it is bad. Okay, so and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but there are, um, the, the, for instance, the amount of cargo at sea and en route to the U.S. is thirty percent lower than it was a year ago. Okay, so it's kind of a low, uh, right now, a kind of low, meaning that there are a lot of stuff coming from China all at one time, and, you know, it could be. And that will slow down, you know, unloading the ships and slow and backlog the ports here in the United States. It's going to happen. But if you'll notice, the supply chain inside the U.S. is pretty darn good, moving Goods, once they get here, once they get here, movement has dramatically improved. So the supply chain inside the U.S. is really good. So that's a good thing. So we can move that stuff internally pretty fast. And that's a good, that's good. So we, and if you just step back a little bit, the supply chain is improving. It is improving. Um, It's much better than it used to be, but it's still not there. We're still not completely fixed. It's not. And it's going to take a year. 
It's going to take the least till the end of this year. I know in January I said expect it to be a whole year, but over this year, 2022, the year we're in, it will slowly improve. And so far, that has come out to be so. But I will say this, you know, I'm not always right. I said I think the oil is peaking, and I don't think it go much above 120, 120 a barrel. And right now it's 120 a barrel, so I could be wrong on that. Okay, and I also said inflation's peaking. And I think inflation is peaking, but there's another thing like, you know, supply chains could cause more inflation, you know, supply chain problems. We're moving into a break. I'm ready for your questions now. Any topic concerning stocks or money, finance, we'll do, we'll do that. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hey, Justin or Steven. This is Eli Cohn from uh, New York City. Uh, relatively new investor as of late last year, so. Obviously, seen a little bit of decline in the portfolio, but uh, undergoing some rebalancing right now and taking a look at the, the long-term investment portfolio. I was curious if uh, you thought it was worth completely getting out of VOO or a Fortune 500 uh, or S&P 500 rather uh, fund and switching into a, a value fund like MGV or VTV, the Vanguard value funds. I know you guys have mentioned that value will continue to outperform uh, growth and much of the, the S&P 500 consists of tech and, and big growth companies. So I'm curious if it might be a net positive to completely get out or, or mostly get out of a fund like VOO and, again, switch into a fund like MGV or VTV. Appreciate uh, you guys answering the questions. Love the show and looking forward to, to hearing the answer. Thanks. Well, I do think value will outperform growth continually for the next few years. It, it, it's logical. But I don't know if I would completely get out of growth. Uh, I might make it, you know, 15%, 20% of my portfolio, and that's about my top end at the most for growth stocks and growth mutual funds or ETFs. The most, the being value and, and, and commodities and energy, and I'd have a little bit of gold. Okay, but yeah, so the answer is yes, I would tell you to get rid of most of your growth, move to value, but I I hate to say to get out of completely growth because there's going to be, you know, uh, uh, there, when 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 growth takes off, you want to have some exposure to it, and it will eventually someday. I can't tell you when. I don't I don't think it's going to be this year. I really don't. I don't really think it's going to be next year either. I think value will outperform for several years. But you know, and remember, people like me and Justin, we don't know for sure. We're just looking at statistics, we're looking at history, we're looking at patterns, you know, and this is what we're coming up with. But don't, you know, too many pundits like us can often be wrong. So don't always use your own, you know, thought process. Well, if you know a lot about the economy, the market, the Fed, what's going on, then you can come up with your own conclusions. You can't. But this is, these are our conclusions, and we invest our money alongside our clients exactly the same. So this is what we're doing with our own money and our clients' money. Okay? 
So just remember that. Okay, um, jobs last week, what, 390,000 jobs, more than expected. Okay, the size of the labor force increased also by 330,000. Remember, the labor force increases every year when the kids get out of school, right? Get out of college. They join the labor force. You know, and what is the labor force? Well, basically, you know, the labor force is all, you know, everybody that's like 16 or over that are either employed or actively seeking employment. Now, think about that. You're 35 years old, and you're not actively seeking employment. Are you part of the labor force? No, because you're not actively seeking employment. How do they determine that? It's interesting how they come up with these numbers. But I want to get to the labor participation rate. Okay, of this labor force, how what how many people are participating? In May, it was 62.3% versus 62.2%. So one-tenth of 1% growth in participation from the labor force. What's normal? In 2010, it was 644 2010, 64, remember, it's only 62.2 now, 62.3, I should say. So that's a whole two percentage points and a 2.1 percentage points less. Think about the, how many millions of people that is. But what is average? What's normal? What should it be? And it, is, it should be around 63%. Okay, so we are still below our norm at 62.3. I realize that you say, well, that's not much. But if you start thinking of it in terms of number of people, we're talking millions, several millions of labor people not participating. And that's those who are actively looking for a job. How many people in the labor force is not even looking for a job and not counted in the labor force? You know, all these statistics that I usually go over with you, it's really we should understand how they're developed, not just the wrong numbers, because how they're developed really means a lot. They changed the way they count inflation 10, 15 years ago to make the inflation numbers less. So that you know you gotta you really gotta be conscious of what's going on, okay. 888-99 charters are our number 888-992-4278. Give us a call anytime you want. On the next Invest Talk, the story behind the question, what is stagflation and is it near term? Is there a probability in near term? The World Bank had something to say about that. Okay, I think I was going to talk about it today. Could the U.S. enter a period of stagflation? I remember stagflation. That's tomorrow. For now, I'm Steve Peasley, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place. Invest Talk. And Steve Peasley is here now taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Well, guess what? It wasn't my fault, but we didn't get the, the uh, trivia question in before the break. So here's the trivia question, okay? Um, 
Okay, uh, there are times when borrowing money is necessary. We know that. For example, purchasing a home. Of course, there are some considerations you need to make when it comes to borrowing money. So as there is a number of factors, there are a number of factors that can make borrowing money more expensive or less expensive. So, so what are they? Can you name five ways to make borrowing money as cheap as possible? Can you? Well, you know, obviously there's ways to make borrowing money cheap as possible. And that's one, one way is to make sure your, your credit scores is good, right? I mean, so how do I do that? Well, there's ways you can correct your credit score. You can help improve your credit score. So go, you know, first of all, you got to go look at it, see what it is. So that would be number one. Make sure you pay your bills. Make sure you pay your stuff on time. You know, don't have too many credit cards. You realize that that reduces your your credit score. Having too many credit cards, even though you have made you made all your payments and everything, there's certain factors that that change it. Uh, sign up for auto pay. Auto pay essentially allows you to avoid falling behind on your loan payments of any kind. Sign up for that, and you won't have missed payments or slow payments. As long as you have the money in the bank. <laughs> Just make sure your payments are not late. That's the key. Pay off your credit card bill in full each month. Carrying a high balance will lower your credit score. Don't carry high balance. What for? Remember, it's expensive money. Credit card money is really expensive. Why are you doing it? And you know what? You might want to apply to lenders that offer different programs for saving money. It's not all, they're not all the same. Okay, so, so for instance, SoFi members who are in the market for a mortgage can get $500 off their loan when they apply for a SoFi mortgage. So, you know, find out who has those kind of deals. They're out there. They're still out there. And, you know, us old guys... You know, we knew we know we knew mortgage rates when they're extremely high. Okay, when we first were trying to buy our houses, first houses usually first or second houses. Anyways, don't be thinking in terms. Well, I'm going to wait for the mortgage rate to come down. It's not, not for a while, not for a long while, and we were at historic lows. So the mortgage rate is like what five and a third percent for a thirty year fix right now. That's still very low. That's not high. Don't think that is in, in high. Just because you're younger and you've never seen it before, you think that that's high because you're used to it being 3%. Well, that's not normal. 6 7% is normal. Okay? And it's at 5 and a third now, so it's not that expensive. Let's bring back to an Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier. By the way, if you've never called... Why not give us a call? The phone lines are never closed. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Jay from Petaluma, California. I have a question for you about Mr. Car Wash, ticker MCW. They are one of the biggest chains of, if not maybe the biggest chain of express car washes in the United States. Car washes have really exploded in the last few years because of subscription and unlimited wash plants. I was curious what your thoughts are. I PO'd about a year ago at around $20, and it's been around $11, $12 recently. So I was curious uh, what you thought about the stock. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mr. Car Wash is a mid-cap company. Well, small to mid-cap, $3.7 billion in size. 
offers express car exterior and interior cleaning services to customers across 396 locations in 21 states. They make money. They've been making money for years and years and years, and they've been increasing their earnings per share every year. Even during the COVID year, they increased their earnings per share that year. Sales have been increasing as well, so I like that that fact. I, I like it a lot. Uh, they're going to make $0.53 cents a share next year, and it's a $12.36 stock. It's a fairly new company. came on in, what, back in June 2021? So it's, what, a year old? So the six-month period, you know, I don't like you buying new IPOs within six months. Wait. And that period's over, so that's good. And I do like the growth prospect and very high return on equity. They have a little bit more debt than I might be comfortable with. Management owns 2% of the company. And the mutual funds own quite a bit itself. There's not, it's going to be, they own quite a bit. I, I kind of like it because I think the sales growth and earnings growth will go up. But it's not an exciting stock. It's not going to be exciting. I don't think you're going to, it's not like a tech stock. And I, you know, I don't think tech stocks are going to work anyway. So, But I do like the fact that they're growing pretty strong. I would take a look at that debt closely. I'm assuming they bought locations or something. That's how come they have debt. And I'm wondering if they own the real estate of those uh, 396 locations, so that's part of the value of the company, or is it leased? Is all that real estate leased? I'd, I'd like to know that, too. But, you know, not a bad-looking thing, bad-looking stock. This is Invest Talk. Let's make two in a row. This question came earlier from the uh, Central Valley of California. Hi, this is Roy calling from Central Valley in California. This question is for the panel, either Justin or Steve. The symbol is S as in Susan, P as in Paul, Y as in yes, D as in David. It's an, an ETF, and I would like to know at current prices, I have a small position. Would you add to it or just hold it or sell it? And I'll wait for your answer on your next podcast. Thank you. I would not sell it. This is a S&P Spider S&P 500 High Dividend ETF. In other words, they're looking for companies to pay high dividend in the S&P 500. So we're looking at large value companies. And of course, look at the chart. This 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 ETF has held up very well. I mean, it's close to a 52-week high compared to the growth index. Much much better held up. So I would not sell it. I would consider adding to it if I didn't, if I felt that I needed more positions in these in the value space. Um, it's at forty four dollars seventy nine cents. Recently, it got down to forty forty one ninety forty one ninety one, and then that's where it found a lot of support and popped back up. It's finding some resistance here at forty five. So um, I think I think if you need. If you want more of this, I think I'd wait for a pullback to see, you know, before I buy it. I I wouldn't sell it, and I don't know if I'd add to it. Because remember, some, don't be in a rush. The summer's going to be a tough summer. You'll probably get a pullback sometime in this. Okay? But I think it's a good ETF to own. I do. Okay, uh, you know, summer's almost here. Was it June 21st is the first day of summer? It's June 7th now. So it's almost here, what, 14 days away or so? And I told you 
that the summer months are going to be volatile. So I expect that to happen. So expect high volatility during the summer. Remember, the Fed is on a horse to run up interest rates, and they're going to keep riding that horse for a while. But pay attention. Volatility does not mean uh, all bad. It also presents opportunities. I think it's worth a a minute or two to talk about what we might be able to help you with, the benefits of joining Justin and myself at KPP Financial. We are based in Irvine, California, which is in Orange County, between in Southern California, which is between L.A. and San Diego counties. That's where we are. And I'll remind you here on Invest Talk and at KPP Financial, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So how do we implement that? What does that really mean? One thing is unbiased guidance. We don't have, you know, you would be surprised how many registered investment advisors, advisors, are beholden to big institutions like Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo. And so they have to do what they want them to do. And you don't know about it necessarily. We also practice parallel investing, which big institutions do not. Parallel investing means us, the owners of our firm, buy and sell the same thing for ourselves as we do for our clients, same percentage, same time. So our performance equals our client's performance. We want to be on that side of the table. And I want you to take advantage, if you could, for of our free portfolio review assessment. We'll take a look at your stuff through telephone, Skype, or go to meetings. Justin does a majority of these things these days, but I don't. I still do them too. So send us a message through investtalk.com. Okay, or you can call KPP Financial in Irvine, California, and you know set an appointment. We'll talk to you. We like talking to people. I think after speaking with us for about 10 minutes, you realize, you know, we're straight shooters. We are. We, we're pretty, we'll be kind of blunt if you're doing things we think are wrong. We don't, we don't mean to insult anybody, but we will tell you what our opinions are. And, you know, it's okay if you do things wrong. Everybody doesn't know how to manage money. It's difficult. I don't think it's, you know, it takes a lot of brain power, but it takes a lot of work. That's the problem. Okay, we're truly different, by the way, because we really do want to help people. We do. So give it, give us a contact. Contact us. Go to our Invest Talk website, uh, investtalk.com. Click on the Contact Us button. Send us an email. Or, as I said, you can give us a call. Either way will work. Okay, how much do institutions own of the equity equity market in general. In other words, I'm talking about of all the stocks that are out there, publicly traded companies, how much does institutions own of all those public companies, of all those shares, trillions of shares outstanding? How What percentage do they own? What do you think? Well, it's 80%. Okay, so if you're thinking about, if you're measuring by market cap, market capitalization, all those companies out there, institutions own 80%. That leaves 20% left for you and me. So if you think about this for a minute, who drives stock prices? Not you and me. Institutions drive them because they have more money than we do, and they can move that big dollars around and push things around. Now, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to say that, oh, that's got to be changed. No, that, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you as a small investor have to understand that's how this works. 
Okay, so you have to say, okay, I know that this company, look at that, 70% of it is owned by institutions. Remember, I say it every day. You know, if I, I'll go to AT&T, like we talked about earlier. How much is owned by institutions? Okay, 27% is owned by institutions, 1% by the management, 4% by the banks. So, you know, you know... Is it good to have higher institutional, uh, inv- uh, higher institutional participation or none at all? I'll tell you this: it's very unwise to buy a company that doesn't have any institutional in- involvement. You want institutions to own the company, but also at the same time, you don't want them to own too much because if they own all almost all the shares outstanding, who's going to push the price up? You and I aren't, right? We're the little guys. We can't. Institutions can't. So you like to see 27% owned by the institutions for AT&T. That means there's room for 30% of the institutions or 35% of the institutions that drive it up higher. And, of course, AT&T is a huge company, $151 billion. So, you know, you buy a small company and you see 90% owned by institutions, I wouldn't want to own that company. Too much institution participation. Learn how to read the market. This is Invest Talk. Can we squeeze in another question before the break? I think we can. Let's try it. Hi, Stephen Justin. I have a question about the PIMCO Dynamic Income Fund. Papa Delta Indigo is the symbol. I've got a friend that, that really, you know, sort of swears by this fund, given that the yield is so high. And, you know, his claim is that it offsets the fees. I've done a bit of back testing on a portfolio over five or 10 years versus just an S&P 500. And it, it looks like it fails miserably next to the S&P itself. I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on a fund like this? Is the the load and everything worse the cost given the yield? Do you think that this is a decent fund uh, versus an S&P 500 index? Be interested to know your thoughts. Thank you. And thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. Okay. There are two different animals. The PEMCO Dynamic Income Fund is a closed-in fund. Uh, seeking income through investments of multi-fixed income sectors, meaning bonds. This is a bond fund. You shouldn't compare that with the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 almost always outperforms bond funds, almost always does. So you, you can't compare it that way. But your, que- next, your question, your next question was, is this a good fund? Well, it's a good fund, but anything that's involved with fixed income right now it's probably going to go down, and this is going down. Why? Because interest rates are rising. And if you go back 5 or 10 or 15 years and compare it with other other kinds of uh, equities that are not apples to apples, it will, it will always fail because the equity stocks always outperform. So what you really need to do is compare this with other fixed income uh, ETFs and see how it's performed compared to them. But purely speaking, fixed income ETFs and bond funds are, are going to underperform until the Federal Reserve stops raising rates. So don't think of the pays 11.5% or so yield. That's going to go down. That will go down. I just think, uh, I don't know how it gets 11.5%, but it just doesn't seem like that could be reasonable going forward. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here to help you achieve financial freedom. 
and our work will continue after the break. So get your questions in now, 888-99-CHART. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, Steve or Justin. I wanted to get your opinion on Fulgen Genetics, ticker symbol FLGT, FLGT. We've held them for about over two years now. I'm up about 33%. And I was wondering if you would trim or sell it all. Thank you. They, um, they say it's a $1.6 billion company, small cap, develop, developing flexible and affordable genetic testing advanced genetic diagnostic tools. Uh, they make money, been making money for a number of years now. Uh, last year, they made $16.67 a share. The year before, it was $9.36. The year before, that was $0.19 cents a share. Okay, and this year, they're going to make six oh nine. So, obviously, they made a ton of money from COVID, right? I mean, obviously, that's where that came from. So, sales have been falling because they had huge sales growth from COVID. So, you gotta, you know, you got to look at it realistically. But they have really good cash flow. Return equity is very high, 60%. And it's a $52 stock going to make $6 next year. So we're talking about, you know, 8 to 9 PE. And it, it's hard to get gauged if that's good or not because the low of the range is 3 and the high is 108. So you can't really. So what's it worth? I would give it a normal PE range because it's not, sales are shrinking. And so that means I think it's worth 60 bucks. 65 bucks maybe it's a 52.74 notice it's been coming down because all that huge earnings you know was built into the stock it got up to what 100 and 150 180 um, 189 189 was its high now it's 52 it's getting to be more reasonable in its price um i probably trim i i take some profits off the table that's probably what i would do on this one good stock though 888-99 chart. Okay, the World Bank warns that the world economy is facing stagflation. Okay? Stagflation. Okay, that what stagflation is just they the reason why they say that because they slashed world economy growth from 4.1% to 2.9%. Okay? And we're dealing with inflation. So Stagflation is slower growth and and higher inflation. That's what the World Bank sees happening over the next year. Okay? So, and it's all for the various reasons. Inflation is all for the various reasons we've talked about before at nauseum, and that's supply chain, uh, uh, the war in Russia and Ukraine, and uh, much faster growth coming out of COVID, that you know, sparked inflation, labor force participation rate still pretty low compared to the pre pre COVID, um, high quit rate, different. The all you know, so inflation, so wages are going up. All those reasons, inflation's high, and now the, there's speculation that's going to go higher. People, some people think it's going to go much higher. I don't. 
but I don't think it's going to fall either. I think it's going to stay pretty high, you know, uh, for a while. And then slowly over time, time meaning several years, come down. The Fed is hell-bent on stopping inflation by raising interest rates pretty quickly. Of course, they could have started earlier, but that's a whole other story. We don't want to get into that. But the Fed's effort to raise interest rates quickly is the effort to slow the economy. I mean, basically, that's what it is because they don't want inflation. So if they slow the economy, there'll be less jobs. Slow the economy, GDP will go down, and they do that on purpose. So they don't want recession. That's not their goal. But they tend to get it because of what they do. Okay. So that's what's going on, everybody. Will Mark tomorrow give us a better market? Have we had an update today? Will it follow through with tomorrow? Well, we're going to see, aren't we? We need a catalyst for the market to turn around, and I don't see that out there yet. I don't. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program. Justin Klein, I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about us, if you would. It's all free. The free podcast downloads don't cost a cent. So get your download at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. And please be sure to review and rate the show on iTunes because we do that helps our helps our exposure. It does. Independent thinking share success. This is Invest Talk. Good night everybody. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.